This is the first time presented by Track Brewing Company. Our biggest asset as a company is the people who work there. You know, it's not the equipment or the beers or the site or anything like that. It's those guys who, you know, really care about what they're doing every day. You know, and it's invaluable to have that. You know, every single person in a company, you know, doing everything they can to to make your company work is really important and really lucky to have that. Hello. And welcome to another episode of The Thirst Time, the show that takes a deep dive into the careers and journeys of some of the most creative minds in the craft beer industry today. Today's guest, we have Ben Freeman. Ben is one of the founders of Pressure Drop, a brewery based down in London that I'm sure you've all heard of. Um, And they were one of the first... I would say that got me kind of interested in the British beer scene with Pale Fire reaching the Northern uh, Taps. It's an amazing beer and it's still an amazing beer. And they are just about to turn 10, I think, this year. So it's been quite a journey. Um, Yeah, Pressure Dropper also pioneering in the way that they kind of look at the work-life balance. They're currently one of the businesses doing um, a government scheme to look at a four-day work week and the balance of that. So we kind of dig into that within this podcast, which was really interesting. Anyway, I'll get out of the way now. Oh, one more thing. Um, I know that I previously said that I was going to be releasing one of these a week, <laughs> and we did for a little while back there, but it's quite a lot of work. So apologies, I haven't been able to stay on top of that. Um, we're just going to be trying to release them as and when. Um, and also trying to team them up with projects that we're working on as well. So yeah, got some interesting stuff coming up in the pipeline. Thank you for your patience with that. I hope you're still enjoying them. Um, and there will be many more to come. They just might come a little less frequently. <laughs> so anyway, let's get to it. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents The Thirst Time. And this is our interview with Ben Freeman. And we start with that all important question. What was that first beer for him? Uh, the journey with Pressure Drop was, I, there's kind of two stages, I think. I was a um, civil engineer before I was a brewer and uh, I was fortunate to work over in Australia in Perth. This is kind of 2009, something like that. And uh, and I'd come out of West Wales where I'd been working, you know, very traditional kind of pub setups that down there, you know, things haven't changed since the <laughs> 1970s and that's great. And, the, and I landed in Perth and I went down to uh, Fremantle and uh, Little Creatures was there. And, the, you know, this just beautiful brew pub and you could see all the all the brewery equipment through there and there's pizzas everywhere and it was on the on the seaside and uh, it was just a lovely place to enjoy a beer, you know, and those beers weren't mind-blowing, but they were, they were good. And uh, that's kind of where the, the culture of kind of craft beer, I think I first became aware of that. Um, and then, you know, you come back to London and and I started living in London, that's where I started brewing and and... You know, it was for me like a lot of people. It was drinking a kernel beer. You know, uh, getting getting served. Anyone in, based in London yeah. around that time feels like the kernel basically just yeah, just everything plumed from yeah. there. A, a lot of people were influenced by those beers, you know, massively. And uh, I went to see Evan as well. You know, we went to went to see the Guru. <laughs> you climbed like, the mountain. You know, um, had a chat with him. It was great. And um, yeah, those those first beers were like the mind blowing ones, weren't they? Where you're like, oh my yeah. god, this is yeah. something else. I think. 
it's hard for anyone to really understand that wasn't maybe drinking beer around that time of just how much they grabbed you by the the shoulders yeah. and shook you. Like, yeah. It was crazy now to drink one of their IPAs against like the current market or anything. You, you might not have that same experience, but back then it was just something. Yeah, definitely. Totally different. Definitely. And I remember the um, the serving it, serving the Eastern little shot glass thing as well. You know, <laughs> I was like, this is weird. This is a different world to me. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'll put it in either. But um, yeah, so, and, and I was... I was like, oh, this, you know, Bruin's quite interesting. I, I was fortunate enough to be able to have a few months off before I found another engineering job. And I ended up volunteering at London Fields Brewery, the no infamous, infamous London Fields oh, Brewery. Yeah. Um, and I met Graham there. He was doing the same thing, um, you know, just seeing what it was like to be in a brewery. Just for the reference of London Fields, for those that don't know, what, what happened with London Fields? <laughs> <laughs> we consult the lawyers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, we don't, we don't really know what happened with London yeah. Fields, do we? We just know that there was something, something dodgy something going on. Something <laughs> dodgy going on. I'll, I'll let people use the internet to, to, yeah. to look into that. Yeah. I mean, at the time, you know, it was, a, it was a great place, actually. There were lots of people there who went on to do amazing things. Mm-hmm. There were guys who went on to, to do uh, Camden Brewery and uh, Ben Ott went on to do 40 Foot and uh, Brewdog guys there. You know, it was... It was full of really knowledgeable, passionate people, as any brewery was back then. And it was a, and and the scene was really young at yeah, that time. Yeah, it was very well. exciting, just wasn't it? Just for reference, what kind of what year are we talking? Uh, this is yeah. this is uh, twenty twelve. Okay, because you know, I remember the London Olympics were on that year. So yeah, um, yeah, and so then Graham, Graham was like, "I'm doing a bit of home brewing in the in the garden shed, and uh, do you want to come up and make some beers? See what we can do." and we did, and they were, you know, after after a few false starts, they were, they were quite good, you know. And we were like, well, let's go and see what people think of them, see if they want to buy them. You know, they had like a address labels, you know, <laughs> <laughs> printed address labels on them. Um, yeah, people were buying them. We were like, this is crazy. Uh, then it got quite cold in the autumn in the garden, so we found a little unit in Stoke Newton and started uh, kind of double batching on this 50-litre kit, you know. Uh, you know, you spend all day making like two kegs of beer. It's amazing. <laughs> so amazing. Like all of the labour for like so little yeah. at the end of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, that, you know, that was that was when people were just desperate to get any of these kind of new styles of beers on their shelves, really. You know, it was a very exciting time. Really exciting. And I, that's where I kind of want to dive into this part of it because I guess, you know, London at this time for beer with the Colonel and then you guys, but you guys have, you know, you were on the crest of that wave, that early kind of new wave of of breweries. Like I remember drinking Pale Fire and uh, Wu Gang chops a tree. You know, <laughs> yeah, like the, yeah. like it, it was it was something different, and it was it was the start of the scene we know maybe now. I mean, obviously, it's just how I clock it. I think I think it was just that new wave of breweries at that time that really, and then it, you know we cropped up and. Verdant Day are all kind of a very similar time, like 2014-ish. Yeah. So you're a couple of years before that. So what was it like for you at that time? Were you just super excited to be, to, to find this passion and producing things and seeing people like enjoying them? And obviously Pale Fire, was that one of your first concoctions or? Yeah, well, Wu Gang Chops the Tree was a, one of the first was, beers. Was weirdly, weirdly, yeah. Everyone starts off with a bay leaf hefeweizen, yeah. don't they? <laughs> 
<laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they were like, all right, that's, you know, that's interesting people, but, you know, what they really want is a, one of these hoppy pale ales. You know, we're, basically we're trying to make kernel beer there, yeah. you know. Um, we'll see if we can get anywhere, anywhere near those beers. You know, that's what we're doing with Pale Fire. And, yeah, that's the that's the beer we still make to this day. You know, that's a 10-year-old beer this year, you know, and we're quite proud of that. Uh, that it's it's still a, a beer that we think is really good, and you know it's a bit like your Sonoma. Really, it's become yeah. our it's our flagship, isn't it? Yeah. It's what people most most recognise with us. So, uh, but yeah, but that twenty that year of kind of twenty thirteen when we first first got a railway arch and and got a, what we thought at the time was a massive eight hundred litre brew kit, you know. Uh, <laughs> Which is still, is it still the one that's in um, the experiment? No, it's not now. It went on to be uh, a brewery at a place called Old Street Brewery. Yeah. And they bought it off us and uh, did very well with it for a few years. I think they still use it, in fact. And some of those tanks cropped up in, you know, um, Affinity, I think, had a couple of the fermenters and went down there. God knows where they are now, but yeah. Can you take me back to like Ben in 2012 with this new exciting project like what were your kind of emotions and and things running through you and also just the scene in london at that time because beaver town must have been cropping up around then and yeah and and other breweries like doing interesting stuff like what was the community like yeah i mean it was great that that i remember we did our first big brew in kind of march 2013 and and five points had cropped up you know 200 yards up the road like a week earlier you know it it was a that year was something like 40 new breweries in London. You know, wow. it'd be like one a week. We'd be like, oh my God, this, where are these guys come from? They're making this beer. They're making different beers. And, you know, everyone would congregate in certain pubs, you know, the Cop Tavern in Hackney as well. All the, all the breweries would end up hanging out. We were famous for kind of starting early, finishing early and being in the pub at like <laughs> three o'clock. Uh, and everyone would hang out together and and compare notes and and yeah it's very exciting because people would be like oh my god you know pale fire's great bosco's great i'm gonna tweet about it and tell everyone to get up here and drink it you know and you're like i can't believe we've made this and it's really exciting people and and you know they want to share it and you know great great times yeah can you if we talk about like pale fire it's quite interesting similar i don't know if it's similar to what happened with um sonoma for us but it's like this happy accident that just seems to resonate with people and then, like you say, you're 10 years down the line with that beer now. Mm. And it probably still feels as fresh to people as it did back then, you know. It, was there ever a point where you were just like, we're going to stop producing it at all? Or was it always just, it, it felt like that was the one that's going to lead you forward? Uh, yeah, well, it's the it's the one people feel most comfortable, you know, buying and putting on their bar, I guess. You know, yeah. it's a good way to try a pressure up beer and then, you know, maybe they're like, you know, I want to take an IPA after that or a sour or something. And so we still do, it's probably 50% of what we make, but um, all, everything else is a, a special or a returning special or a one-off or a new beer. So we still have that, you know, creative freedom to do whatever we want or whatever our customers want to mm-hmm. want to drink, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's nice having that beer that you can really get into and refine and, and tweak. And, yeah concentrate on and try and perfect it you know and, and um make sure it's consistent and and people seem to recognize that and keep reaching for those cans which still blows my mind really you know <laughs> when you you look at like two pallets of cans you think who the hell's buying all these you know <laughs> <laughs> you know that must be literally thousands of people reaching yeah, for this man. can in a bottle shop and it's like a lovely feeling to think you know i, I, I was driving down the road 
I don't drive very often in London, but and I was stopped in some traffic and um, two women walked past, each holding a can of pale fire, that's you know, amazing. off the way to the park. And I was like, oh, that's that's lovely. I, don't, <laughs> I better not shout out the window. <laughs> that's so cool. You don't really think of it like that, but yeah, we are, you're sending thousands of units out into the world yeah. every month and you're just defining a home, yeah. you know. Someone's choosing that yeah. over, over anything else on the shelf. They're going, that's the beer I want to drink, you know, and that's still really nice feeling that's amazing man go so let's dive back into the start of pressure drop then so you have you've moved up you did like your home brewing your shed you find your little unit feel like you're brewing masses of beer compared to like 50 <laughs> liters 800 <laughs> liters and it was it just you graham and sam at that time yeah it, yeah it, yeah it, so we, we were you know we were one of the um one of the many breweries trying to basically recreate the kernel, you know, so we would do everything. We would swap round, we would brew one day, then we'd go on the sales desk and then, and then we'd do the labelling and, you know, and we all wanted this kind of super flat, lovely structure, you know, that, yeah. that, that makes the kernel so special. Yeah, no, we did that very successfully for quite a few years. Um, and then, you know, as you, you jam a few more tanks in, you know, you're in that phase where you can't make enough beer, so you're putting more tanks in, it's all getting very complicated and mm-hmm. then, you know, hoses hanging everywhere and tripping over things and and we realized we need a few more people and we we had a uh we used to get the brew dog bars used to visit and do a collaboration beer and those guys would always be interested in like doing a bit of part-time work so we'd end up hiring one of them to start labeling and uh and then so the first one to do that was craig and he he started labeling and he's just um left us now after, what, six years or something, and he's head brewer at Squawk. Amazing. You know, which is a lovely story. We're really proud that we've managed to, um, someone to start like that and teach them everything I need to know to go and lead a brewery, you know. That's a really proud moment for us. We don't, fortunately, people don't leave pressure drop that often, so we have a very low turnover of staff, and most people have been there for three or four years at least now. Yeah. So we've got a really tight little crew. And was that a kind of influence from the Colonel? You know, we spoke to um, James recently, James Rylance and you know he he thought that it was just it's almost a holy place isn't it like mm. the way that it operates and the respect mm. that's given to each person and the the beauty of letting people go to flourish in their own way but always providing a home for them if they ever need it yeah is yeah. it's an amazing thing did you did you take a lot away from that to in setting up pressure drop yeah definitely i think we share you know Values. evans obvious obvious uh, desire to provide a safe place for people and a rewarding place for people and uh, that's important to us as well you know our, the, our biggest asset as a company is the people who work there you yeah. know it's not the equipment or the beers or the site or anything like that it's those guys who you know really care about what they're doing every day you know and it's invaluable to have that you know every single person in a company you know doing everything they can to to make your company work is yeah. really important and are really lucky to have that. So we try and, you know, make sure they're happy and rewarded as best we can, you know, and they have, try and have a, enjoy it, not work too hard, you know, get get some time off and, and have a good balance. Uh, so yeah, in that respect, we totally believe in that as well. Okay, so if we, I feel like we have to take the tangent here into the four-day work week, which is, <laughs> you guys were, you yeah. know, you, you got your BBC coverage of, uh, of uh, being a trialling <laughs> yeah. kind of business doing that. Yeah. Um, we'll dive back into the pressure drop story, but it feels important to talk about it because, because it 
can be and has been for a lot of people hard work. Like being a brewery is not an easy thing, especially when you're a young brewery trying to get off the ground. And now more than ever, you know, that those those your profit margins are just squeezed as tight as they can be, this, that, and the other. But once you kind of establish yourself and you you start rolling to be a more formed business, I guess, <clears throat> you can really understand what it is for someone to work for you. And that negotiation, I guess, of, um, you know, they're giving their time and energy to towards you. And, and if we give back to it, then we can form this relationship that they're going to give everything they can because they respect you and you're going to give everything you can because you respect them. So is that how you kind of formulated wanting to go for a four-day work week? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's an extension of that, you know, desire to be a fair employer, you know, and, uh, you know, we also wanted to see if it was possible, you know, yet that we weren't the first to do it. I think the Vault City guys did it uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. So we... we but we wanted to see whether we could kind of lead some of that change, you know, like actual tangible change, um, you know, prove prove it as a is possible. Yeah, and I think there, I think you're right. It, it only it's, it's an we've a, been able to make it work because we're a stable business, you know, yeah. relatively, you know, and like I said, everyone's been there for years, uh, and we're fairly comfortable in how we do things, and we're you know we're fairly confident in what we're doing, um, and everyone. You know, basically, you know, the, the, the employees make it work. They they decide whether how to do their job in four days rather than five. It's mm-hmm. not me dictating anything. Um, That's a really interesting point. We talked about this before the podcast, but the idea that it's not you dictating the workflow. It's yeah, the workers yeah. dictating the workflow because they know how to do their job in the most... Yeah, they, those guys who are running the canning line or brewing the beer, they know where the the time could be made up, you yeah. know, they know where they could work more efficiently. And it's more than anything, it's a great way to um, encourage people to talk about how things could run smoother, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, because efficiencies, uh, like, if you can make efficiencies, that's great. Yeah. For business. That's yeah. amazing. And you're just providing a forum for people to do that. You yeah. know? So we had lots of meetings where we sit down and go, right, you know, where where in this process could we speed this up? You know, and, and the guys would be like, well, I could... I could prep those kegs the day before, you mm-hmm. know, and we could just get straight on with packing as soon as we come in, you know. Um, so there's lots of little things that we did uh, to to make things run more efficiently. Um, and, you know, and we're not a, we've never, you know, been trying to squeeze out as many litres as possible. We've always only really wanted to do, make enough beer to build a stable company financially and provide, you know, a nice place to work. And we can do that working four days a week instead of five yeah it turns out so you know it's amazing yeah. and it's amazing you know you are in the epicenter of the the economy basically in london you know it's it's a hard place for a lot of businesses to function but you're taking making moves that are progressive in the field as well and you but your feeling is your feeling that it's equal to what it was as five day weeks yeah, so we we produced the you know we, the we did this as part of a trial with a, an organisation based out of New Zealand. Um, we were one of fifty companies in the UK to be part of the trial. Everything from uh, you know fish and chip shops. I think we're doing it. You know, there was a, there was some other small producers as well, um, uh, clerical companies, and so there's a whole range of companies involved. And as part of the trial, the 
we were we needed to report our productivity mm-hmm. before and after and during the trial. So we did that, and and the staff were all uh, surveyed before and after um, anonymously by the by the by the organisation there. I think as part of uh, research in a university in uh, Canada as well. Um, so everything's been measured, you know, staff welfare, how they feel about it, um, and our production. And we produced the same amount of beer in those six months as we did the previous. Um, you know, as far as we can see, there's no there's no negative aspect to doing the four day week. Amazing, you know. So. Everyone hear this <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and implement. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's, it's. I don't know. I guess you get carried away with the normality of what it, you know, we all follow a path because everyone else is doing it almost. Mm. But like, if, if you can do what you're doing, then yeah, yeah. amazing. Well, it used to be normal to work six days a week. Yeah. You know, and then uh, some big companies decided the welfare of their staff, they would work five days a week. And yeah. now that's what we do as a standard. But yeah. you know, there's no reason why that shouldn't, shouldn't try moving that to four, right? Yeah, and, and I guess it's just knowing what works for your business as well and, and and the people and seeing the effect that it has on the people. Again, you know, you've worked as a startup company effectively, it's pressure drop. And it is, those early days, are, it, it's hard, but yeah. because I guess it was you, Graham and Sam, and you're all invested, it's a different thing because you're all working for something that is effectively yeah. yours. But when you start building a business with new employees and... Yeah, becoming a, a, a business, um, those things change and you you do see the quality of life for, for everyone yeah. in a different way. Yeah, definitely, you know, and, uh, you know, we're very lucky to be able to make that work, I think, you know. So, yeah, the guys spend that day off doing you know, whatever their passions are, you know. Louis goes mountain biking, I think. Brad goes and checks out the craft beer bars of London. You know. <laughs> it's good. Still you got know. someone on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he does all the research. Yeah. That's he's, amazing. He's constantly sending the feedback, you know, who's making the good beers. <laughs> so if we, if we go back into reflection mode, so yeah. How would you see, you know, you're 10 years in, you're going to celebrate your 10th birthday this year. Yeah. Is that right? We're 10 years old this year. Yeah. Which is incredible. Um, how have you seen the industry change over the years for the better and for the worst. Let's, let's pull a few threads. (laughs) Yeah. I think on the whole, uh, you know, I remember being worried that it would lose its kind of collaborative um, community a little bit a few Mm -hmm. years back. But I think, I think that's largely intact. You know, uh, we were brewing a beer with the Shershot guys yesterday down the road and, Sharing knowledge and uh, lessons we've learned with and listening to them, you know, you know, James will have forgotten more things than I'll ever know about brewing beer. So I'll I'll happily hang out with him as long as long as he'll have me. Um, so I think that that is still there, which is great, you know. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a much tougher business now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and there are, there are pros and cons with that. I think I think like the competitive nature of it is driving massive improvements in quality and innovation you know I think every single brewery up and down the country now is doing everything they can to make better beer you know market their beer better come up with new ways of reaching customers you know and that's a good thing really you know that drives the industry forward but it's at the same time it's you know a tough business to be Mm in um you know tough for a for a company employing people and making sure they, they feel secure and safe and have a future. You know, that's that's a 
more of a worry than it used to be, mm-hmm. I think, you know, but that's probably a natural life cycle of any industry. Yeah. I mean, this is what I spoke to Bruce, obviously about the kind of current climate in the, the brewery scene and, and, you know, kind of asking him, you know, do you think this is a natural cycle? Because if we go back to that wave that we were talking about, that you, you, you were like just before and then it kind of turned, but you, you said there was 40 breweries that popped up in London. Mm. How many of those are left? And yeah. You know, is there ever going to be another bubble? That's what I'm interested in. It's like, yeah. <clears throat> I was speaking to Matt, Matt Curtis the other day, though, and he said that five breweries opened in Manchester last year. And I was like, wow, okay, so it, it's still happening, you know? Like, That's because you're all mad up Yeah. <laughs> Not all that is. Just want to brew their own beer. Um, but so there's still energy there to for, for, for people to keen, kind of progress into it. Obviously... The lay of the land is pretty, it, it, it's hard at the moment. Oh, it would be, I don't know, like you look back at like 10 years, would you want to start again right now? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, I, you know, I don't really regret anything. You know, I think you kind of, the, the, the things that make it difficult end up building you as a company, you know, and you end up, you, uh, you either overcome them and you're stronger for it or you, or you don't, you know, and, um, you know, we've had tough bits ourselves where, you know, where you go through the expansion phase, you know, and your cash flows on the floor and you're, you're worrying about it, you know, and you're getting stressed about it. You know, we've been through all that before as well. So and I think after a while, after a while you learn to, well, I, I certainly learned to like manage the stress that comes with that, you know, and be able to kind of compartmentalize things and not be worrying about a, a beer you're not happy with at three in the morning, you know, thinking I don't need to you know, forget about this until I get up. I'm looking know? at an untapped you know? review just before you go yeah, to bed. Yeah, yeah, like... do that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, what was, the, what was the question again? <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't know. We would just float off into just, the ether. It was basically yeah. saying, that, yeah. you know, how do you see, do you, there, was a, there was a boom of craft breweries yeah. and obviously with a boom comes a, a bust at certain points. Not everyone's going to make it through. Um, why do you think pressure drop has? Um, I think, you know, timing to a degree, you know, we were able, I think if we were, so we went through our expansion coming up to, well, just over five years ago. And that, that's the risky moment, right? That's the moment where you start taking on debt and, and you need to like find out how much more beer you can sell, you know, um, you don't know that until you make it, you know. So you think, right, can we sell double this beer or triple this beer? You know, how big, how big is this brewery going to be? You know, and then you you make it, and then you find out. Uh, and they're they're the, they're the risky moments for a small business that hasn't got loads of financial backing. Um, and I think if that had happened to us, you know, during COVID or or now, we might not have made it. Mm-hmm. So I think there's an element of luck and timing, being in the right place at the right time. Uh, but also we, I think one of the advantages of being our size is we're really flexible. You know, we can change on a dime what beer we, what beers we make. You know, we can change next week's brew plan. We don't have big distribution deals. We don't have to, any customers who are depending on certain beers arriving, you know, so we can reflect what people want. So, you know, there's been a definite change to lower ABV stuff recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can, we can flip that switch and start making some session IPAs or, you know, parallels or adjusting to demand a little bit quicker than maybe some bigger breweries can. Uh, and just try and, you know, keep the quality high, you know, and make sure that people, 
trust when they see a pressure stock beer that it's going to be good and it's going to be worth them spending, you know, four, five, six pounds a can on that because yeah. that's, you know, a big ask. You're asking people to pay that money these days. Uh, it needs to be a good beer, you know, when they crack it. Um, so focusing on that and, and trying to keep an element of fun and excitement in it, you know, tr- trying some new things, making some interesting sours or some big, you know, pastry stouts, Oh, crab facts. Oh, crab facts, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> providing some crab knowledge at the same time, you know. Not, you don't, only, you don't only get a beer here, you get uh, interesting crab knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Check out crab facts yeah, on Instagram if, you, facts, if you're wondering what I'm talking about. It was so uh, good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, loads to kind of get into that. If we go to that pivot, pivotal moment of expanding, so you guys... I don't know how big the team got, but for anyone that's been to the experiment in Hackney, that that became your brewery, didn't it? And you were knocking out beers there for how many years? Yeah, five years. Five years, uh, and was that 20, on the eight hundred litre? Yeah, that was a little uh, little five barrel kit which we used to, you know, brew on every day, basically. Um, really basic kit, you know, basically just a big home brew kit. Really, there wasn't nothing, nothing uh, flash about it. Um, you know, still bottle conditioning. You know, we had to drop that. Sorry, Evan. <laughs> I, was, I was terrified about telling him. But, no uh, shots of yeast anymore. <laughs> no shots of yeast, yeah. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the first time, and this is our interview with Ben Freeman. When was the kind of moment then for you that it was it was either go big or go home? Or if it yeah, wasn't the, go home, the biggest like problem the, the, we had was trying to find somewhere to do it. We always knew that we wanted to make that next step. It was just we couldn't find a site in London. It took us two years to find somewhere. I remember you telling me this. Um, you know, either um, either places would only give you a twelve month lease because they basically wanted to sell it and build flats. You know, we're looking out on a Similar situation here in Manchester, yeah, you know. Trains everywhere, marking yeah. the skyline. Yeah. So you, and we wanted a place we could call home for, you know, five, ten years. So that was narrowing everything down a bit. Um, yeah, so we used to trail the industrial estates of East London, trying to find somewhere. Um, and that was the only thing kind of delaying delaying things, really. Um, and then we were lucky enough to find a place next to Beaver Town. That was Beaver Town's glory days, you know. <laughs> And tag along on their tap room that used to get like 3,000 people every Saturday. Crazy. Um, and they were great. You know, Logan was great. He was like, you know, more the merrier. Come and join us. And um, yeah, that we'd help each other out. You know. And you guys started at a similar time, no? Is that right? Yeah. The, yeah, he was in Dukes at the same time as we were um, moving into the railway arch in Hackney. It, so it's just, it's, it's kind of crazy when you look at the uh, trajectories of breweries. And like how, yeah, partic- that, particularly that one. Yeah, particularly that one. Like, and literally, you're in like I don't want to say the shadow of, but like the they were just going bigger and bigger. You know, like just ramping up and up yeah, and up. Crazy, and when you were thinking about what you wanted to do with pressure up, I, I feel like I remember talking to you about this many moons ago. But you basically, what model do you shift to? You know, there is a couple of different options where you go. Do we want to pay a fire to just lead the way and become, you know, be brewing 100,000 litres of that, whatever? Yeah. Um, 
and get massive tanks and just go hell for leather at that. Do we want to remain slightly smaller and be flexible in what we, we want to do? And obviously you went for that option. Do you remember like the conversations that you were having about like the next phase of what pressure drop was going to be? Um, yeah, I, we never, we've never really wanted to end up with a huge company and mm-hmm. just, you know, I like, I think, uh, being kind of owner operators, you know, so the, where the owners of the brewery are on the shop floor, you know, I, I was on the canning line on Tuesday, you know, Sam does order picking, you know, one day a week. That's, uh, quite valuable I think you know you know your business intimately and we always wanted to maintain that mm-hmm. be involved in everything day to day and have a have a, a small streamlined company we didn't ever really wanted to be take over the world as such you know we were we were much much more happy to follow in the kind of kernel journey than we were the beaver town journey absolutely so, you know and it's just so interesting to have because when we came in brewery, you've literally got Beaver Town just at the end, and then you guys. So you're like, you're literally seeing something just go into like, yeah, yeah. huge megalithic structure. Or yeah, and obviously you're like, yeah, well, Beaver Town are really cool. You know, they're doing amazing stuff, and it's all super intense. But that can't last forever. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone can sustain that kind of business for very long. And yeah, and that's what happened. They ended those people who kind of. In that, in that, in Beaver Town at the time, and going through all those amazing journeys, and now at other breweries, you know, and yeah. doing similar things, great jobs at other places. We we have one. We're lucky to have one of them with us. And um, yeah, it sounds like it was super intense, you know. And it might have looked fun from the outside, but I imagine, On I imagine being in there was quite quite hard. Yeah, you know? when when you're pushing the like, and I'm not not to throw shit at Beaver Town at all because it's just it's just that was their model and that's what they wanted to do. Fine, but it was just interesting because I remember coming down and seeing you guys and and it was just a question of like you didn't know anyone there anymore you know it was when it was that tight knit and there yeah, was yeah. Fred and Johnny and everyone yeah. was there and and everyone was kind of in it together I guess there's a beautiful moment in time where everyone is connected like that but doesn't necessarily last yeah. <laughs> like yeah <laughs> I think you know it was an active decision but I'm glad that we've kind of sustain something that's maybe a bit calmer but for, yeah. a long, for a longer period you know and uh, and something that we can continue to do you know and uh yeah I th- so I think that's where press drop is now we're kind of we're kind of like right let's get through this through this particularly tricky time hopefully mm-hmm. things start to calm down a bit and and we can build something that lasts another 10 years yeah you know? and probably doesn't look too different uh, probably um you know who can say but that would be I think our plan now yeah just, just to keep it rolling and focus on the people, I guess. You're yeah. Still, as, you know, is 10 people now? Yeah, 10 people now, I think, uh, the last count, yeah. So, you know, that includes um, some guys at the Experiment, the, the bar that we operate with Verdant as well. And, yeah, that, that seems to work well for us. You know, we can, we can make it pay at that size, we think, so we'll mm-hmm. carry on. Carry on. The Verdant element, that was really kind of new to the scene i think when the experiment came along it was like this cooperation between two breweries yeah to have an outlet um and i mean you guys were in bottles when you first opened that place yeah that was a a collab that got out of hand that was (laughs) yeah (laughs) wasn't it didn't adam just like come 
come and you were like, oh yeah, this is our old site. And we were just like. Yeah, yeah. It was a really nice story. I, I was I was trying to remember this yesterday on the way up. And I think we were, I think I met Adam at, um, I think it might have been the Duration launch party or something like that. Something at Mason and Co in uh, a now now defunct craft beer bar in Hackney. And all the all the all the brewing industry were there. I remember someone had a drone up in the air, and we all had to get, go out and wave at this drone or something. Someone someone doing some social media, and uh, and Adam was there, and um, and he said, oh, you know, Bosco, great beer. That was like huge influence on us uh, as an IPA we made in our first year or two. Uh, and he said, you know, we used to drink that. I think, hey, we, this is the kind of thing we want to make. Um, a West, Coast, a West Coast IPA, but they didn't end up making that. But <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, you know, would you would you come and brew a beer with us? And he, yeah, be delighted to. And, and Adam and James came up, and we made we made a beer called the Experiment. The Experiment requires you to continue. Um, and it was our first. It wasn't our first New England style. I remember being like, we were, we were super nervous about making New England style beers for some reason. It's because at that time people thought it was going to be a hypey, yeah, short-lived thing, you know. And people were like, oh, you know, just jumping on the bandwagon with that. And we were a bit nervous about it, kind of protective of our kind of West Coast beers, I guess. Nervous about kind of um, blurring the the brand, maybe. Uh, so I was like, oh, Verdant said they're going to come up and do a beer, so we're going to do a New England one. You know, and James was great. The head brewer there, he was like, you know, this is how we make them. He just like gave us all the all the details, saved us a whole load of trouble. I presume trying to find work out that recipe. Um, it's it just just a point. It's just so fascinating that yeah, West Coast beers were the thing that Verdant absolutely loved, but they went yeah, on to just well, change the scene with yeah. their New England IPAs. Yeah, make make their name with something completely different, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a nice little kind of like circular story, really. You know, we we were making Bosco. That kind of helped inspire the Verdant guys. And then the beers they were making inspired us to kind of change up what we were doing or or go in a different direction, you know. And yeah, we were still in bottles. We're quite kind of uh, risk-averse, maybe, I'd say, as a company. Mm-hmm. We don't, we try and not to go off on a mad tangent without thinking it through, you know, and we were... We were like, right, let's just do one thing at a time. Let's expand the brewery. Let's not change up to cans at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just going to do it bit by bit. So, yeah, we were still in bottles. Everyone else was doing cans, you know. And uh, I remember Adam came up and he was like, what, what the hell are you doing in bottles? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I remember going in there for an event and it was at a time, again, cans were the new thing and people were just taking them all, yeah. like out of the yeah. fridge and yeah. and you know bottles because we were in bottles originally as well and it was you'd speak to bottle shops and it was like i sell one bottle for (laughs) you guys really need to change this up yeah it's wild how bottles are seen now isn't it yeah yeah uh so you know that i think getting to know the verdant guys that well was a good for us you know they kind of made us realize some things we we probably could be doing better uh you know and they're just natural enthusiasm and encouragement was really important you know and um you know i guess that goes back to that kind of you know what's great about this industry is people helping and supporting each other and mm-hmm. there's a there's a real uh, example of that right there you know? yeah i think for me as well like that's if if that goes then the industry yeah. goes, like, I, yeah. i'm probably done because i feel like it's so special to be able to share a beer with someone and share ideas and yeah and and feel i did a tasting last night and they were like oh but Cloudwater over the road, so is it like really competitive? Was that? <laughs> well, no, man. They, you know, they helped us 
through a lot of stuff mm. and, you know, their stuff coming here, our stuff going there. And there's a real beauty in, and, and that's, I feel, is at the heart of the industry. And you guys, but you guys were real pioneers in that. Like the experiment was, you know, two breweries sharing a space. Yeah, yeah, and that's still going. Really, you know, it's kind of uh, that's probably three or four years old now, is it? I think maybe. It's got and it, be, it works it's really be well. Older than that, surely. It, well, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it is. Um, what have we been? Twenty, probably twenty eighteen. Yeah, maybe it is four, five years old. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, but you know. It works really well, you know. Um, we had the, the putty launch there last week. You Amazing. know, it was, back, it was nice to see a queue of people outside Amazing. the door again. <laughs> you know, and and it's, I think it's certainly helped us in terms of uh, getting our, you know, continuing to get our name out there and promote what we do mm-hmm. to be to be with the guys. And let's be honest, Verdant are one of the leaders, aren't they? You know? Absolutely. So, so it's great to be um, associated with them. Um, yeah, and we get to go down and see the Verdant guys at their festival every summer and that we always try and take everyone down and have a bit of a summer holiday while we're down there, you know? Yeah, it works really well. Uh, like, collaborations have come... Sometimes they come into fire through... Everyone's just, like, everyone's just doing collaborations, everyone's doing... And yeah, I, I get... But what you just said there changed your business, probably, and changed mm. and, and mm. what you originally did change Verdant, like led Verdant to become what they are. So there's so much importance in these collaborative aspects, you know, just two minds meeting and seeing what you come up with. Yeah, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen, right? It, you know, yeah, not all collabs are like that. You yeah. know, some of them do go by without much happening, but you don't know who you're going to meet or talk to or what connections you're going to make until you do them, you know, so... We didn't, we didn't really do many in the early years. You know, we were quite shy. Maybe we weren't super confident about it. I don't know. But and, It's know. so funny because up here, it was just like, you guys just like, wow, pressure drop. So cool. you we were all you mysterious, know, like mystique, were we? Well, yeah, <laughs> well, I was just a drinker at that time more. And, uh, and it's just funny, the mystique around it all. Because it's like this kind of new, exciting product that's reaching the market and connecting people. You know, you're running around to different beer bars in Manchester trying to find what's on draft that you've never tried before or, mm. or like pale fires on somewhere like, yes, fucking love beer bar. Or I always reference like Gamma Ray, you know, you'd search it out if it was in yeah. Manchester and sit and just have an evening drinking it. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I, yeah, they, I'm, you know, we, we've tried to do, well, not tried to do more of them, but we've done more of them more recently. And yeah, they, you know, they've been great, great for us. We've made lots of friends and connections and learned loads of things. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say on the whole, you can't knock a collaboration. You yeah, because know? <laughs> you, know? you never know what's going to come from it. Yeah, you're not going to make a worse, Barry. Which we probably touch on our collaboration, which was pretty <laughs> pretty special. You were just talking about how risk-averse you were and this, that, you there. <laughs> yeah. The collaboration we brewed, for, for anyone that remembers it, uh, down at your spot was, um, was a black IPA with smoked orange. <laughs> Smoked orange zest. It's smoked orange zest, yeah. and but it had a bit of smoked malt in there, so it was like it basically like a hoppy smoked porter. Yeah, it's pretty wild, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That um, was the wackiest one of them. Yeah, they just they don't let me forget that beer in the, in the sales office. They, yeah, they're constantly beating me with that stick. It was, it was amazing. Yeah, just like yeah. to think of just like I mean that is 
pushing the butt out. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember me and Matt it. smoking orange zest on a barbecue in the car park, yeah. thinking, "Yeah, let's put more of this. Yeah, put more of that in." You know, it was it. great for photo opportunity. <laughs> I was like, "This is perfect. I love this." Yeah, <laughs> yeah some people, you know, that was a. I remember Nick at Beaver Town decided that was his favourite beer for a long time, and he kept coming over and asking for more Tiger Tail cans to drink. <laughs> And uh, like, yeah, he just loved it. Great, man. We've got quite yeah, a lot. Of yeah. <laughs> he was uh, in a, in the minority, but um, yeah, that was a wild beer. Yeah. Yeah, we probably wouldn't do that again. Well, this talk of Black IPA in, in, in this brewery, and I, I'm, I'm like, oh, yes, okay. get on it, yeah. get on it. Because it was one of the first styles that we um, we brewed. We brewed one called Zoji, and it was, you know, it was like right in the early days of, of, of brewing. Weird style, like interesting concept behind the whole thing. Kind of spoke about what you want pressure drop to be in the next ten years, which is kind of carry on the on the carrying on the same, but making sure like staff looked after maybe the four day a week because it's still a trial period at the moment, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is still. Technically but you a lock that in, and that becomes part of your business. How do you see the next? We've used the term ten years now, so we're going to go. I usually do five, but we're going to go to ten for pressure drop, and just as a beer scene, like we are going through a bit of a, a really trying time at the moment where we are seeing the closures of some of the people that really led the way, say, use wild beer, for instance. Um, you know, how do you see the next years playing out with regards to craft beer? Yeah, I don't, I don't feel uh, super confident one way or the other, to be honest. Like, the last few years have just been wild, haven't they? You know, I mean, the, you know, we've just negotiated our energy bills you know for the next 12 months and that's that's quite they're quite scary numbers these days aren't they mm. and, and the you know the inflation on on the bar in london particularly is pretty high you know people have, these beers are very expensive way to have an evening out now for people so it depends whether that can be sustained you know whether mm. people can still feel they can go out and and enjoy these beers and afford to enjoy these beers and we'll see what happens over the next uh next year it's going to be kind of uh touch and go isn't mm-hmm. it a little bit for a lot of businesses i think um so you know with that caveat if if we come out the other side of it and we can try and you know make 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 these make these beers uh accessible again or, or more accessible to people then um I don't see any reason why it won't continue to grow and the quality won't get better. Um, and I think it, I think there will be less breweries, but I think that was maybe going to happen anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's so, there's so few barriers to entry that I think you probably naturally get a lot of breweries in the same space at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I think there, I think maybe there will be less, but... But still a, a big wide range, you know, there's still lots of gaps for people to do different things, you know, um, sour beers or wild beers or, you know, thinking of like five points end up making a lot of best bitter now, you know, there's an Which example. Which seems of, to be like the absolute, you know, that's the market now. It feels like that's yeah, a really good market, yeah, like yeah. solid, traditional. And move back to more traditional beers, you know, yeah. people are using leaf hops back in the kettle again, you know, I think there's like a bit of a, a move back to more traditional, more balanced stuff has been happening for a while, you know, and that'll fit in with um, people continuing to make 
New England double IPAs are mm-hmm. super hop intensive, you know, and there'll be something for everyone. It, I think it will continue to be a great place for a beer drinker to be. Yeah, a lot of choice and a lot of different things to try. Uh, it'll just be whether those businesses can get through to that, mm-hmm. get through to that point in time, you know. Um, so, yeah, it could be interesting. And if you, with your vast experience now of, of running a business, <laughs> if you were to just be stepping into this industry as a brewer or as, as you know, founding a brewery, what would be your advice? Uh, it, it, it kind of depends what you want from it, doesn't it? You know, it depends what your, what your aim is. Um, if, if, if you want what, what, what we have, which is, you know, you're not going to be filthy rich, but you're going to have a, a nice life and be happy in what you do, then just surround yourself with the right people, I think, you know, and, and they'll, they'll help you achieve it if you can make them feel valued and reward them as best you can. And, you know, they'll, they'll do it for you, really. Mm-hmm. They'll help you get there. Um, that's, that's how we've done it anyway. So that, you know, I don't really have any regrets um, in, the, in the 10 years. I think we've done, we've made the right decisions at the right time. Even the Black IPA. Even the Black IPA. <laughs> we laugh about it now. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, we, we've, we've probably made a few mistakes, but I think they, 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 they build you into what, what you then become, you know. And we just, we always try and think, you know, what would Evan do? you know, in this situation. <laughs> Maybe we need some kind of like Evan magic ball that you just shake yeah, and uh, yeah. it gives you an answer. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I'm glad that I've got partners in the business, you know, I, I wouldn't want to have done it on my own. I think that's really hard. Um, and lucky to have people who share the same vision, you know, I think that's made it much easier for me personally and, and helped us as a business. So there was three of you who kind of founded it yeah. and was the was it pretty quick to understand the balance of what each one of you was doing? Or I guess you said that everyone was doing everything at the start. Yeah, we were, we started off trying to be the colonel, yeah, and you know, do everything everything each you know in turn, and that was great. You know, you got to learn everything how everything worked. You know, everyone wanted to brew beer. You know, everyone wanted to um, be over the business side of it as well. But then you kind of naturally, as you, as it grows, you naturally fall into the things you're strongest at or most comfortable at, you know. So, and we were just, we didn't plan it out this way, but we were fortunate enough that, you know, I, I've got an engineering background, so I'm probably more technical-based, science-based for brewing. And, you know, Sam's uh, got a, a kind of um, leadership background, so he ended up taking on all the less glamorous bits, you know, doing the VAT returns quite a and lot the payroll, yeah, you know, quite a lot. dealing with all the, all the awkward bits. Thank you, Sam, um, for your years of service in that respect. Um, yeah, and we end up, you end up kind of falling into the right roles and we happen to have complementary people mm-hmm. in that respect. Um, so there's a lot of luck involved, I think. Yeah. I feel very lucky, you know. I think the best, well, I need to watch what I say here, but... It's always fascinating to see breweries that with a few different elements in, you know, like, I mean, look at Verdant, a, a, a perfect example. 
basically James, Adam, and then Rich came on, and they mm. all have like a totally different skill set, yeah. but just work so well together and have, have you know changed the beer game in some, some regards in the UK. Yeah, um, yeah I don't, did they intend that, or is that a kind of luck, I think, luck I as think well? James and Adam were homebrewers, um, and then Rich came on as just a fan of the beer, but he's from an elect. Like he was an yeah. electrician, so he's, he's got, the guy you want when you're building a brewery. When you're building a brewery, like an electrician, <laughs> yeah. is going to save you some money if he's uh, yeah, if he's definitely. involved. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that, and it's the same as you know. I always go to music analogies, but when a band comes together and everyone's just got like they find each other and they kind yeah. of they all have a different skill, but bring something different to the table, and and the best ones. That's that's it. It's that melting pot of creativity and ideas and understanding that, that yeah. pushes them on. Um, and having, you know, we being able to d- discuss decisions in a group like that, you know, and make sure that you're not, you know, I probably had some stupid ideas, and if someone hadn't said "Don't do that," we might have ended up doing some stupid things, you know. And, that, and that's a problem when you're kind of a, a lone range. Maybe you don't yeah. have. You don't have people sense checking what you're doing so much. You know, there might be, and there are times when that's to your advantage. You know, you can be much, make decisions much quicker, you know, and have a very pure vision for a business. But on the other hand, nobody's checking you, make sure you're making the wrong call sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, so. And yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's, there's pressures that come with all this. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want to be doing that shit on your own. Oh, yeah. man. Jeez. <laughs> so if we could, um, if if there was if you could distill the journey down to 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 a few words or a sentence, how how would you describe it? <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know. I I've, I feel like you know this is a I can't really put it in a few words, but I you know it's great to talk about it like this because you kind of. Uh, you kind of forget what you've done sometimes, yeah. you know, you don't, you just, it's like a normal day for me now. I go in the brewery and I get to work with great people and come up with new beer recipes and get invited to brew with different people. And you sometimes forget how privileged you are to mm-hmm. do that and have done that for 10 years now. So I don't know, I'm just very grateful. And to just see those people walking down the street with like something that you created. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good to... Have someone ask these questions to remind yeah. you, remind you how mad that is, you know, and how uh, and how much of it was kind of, you know, don't necessarily believe in fate, but you know, how it could have gone very differently. You yeah, know? I mean, when you're starting out, you have all sorts of different ideas about how it'll be, and um, doesn't end up like that most of the time. But um, lucky that it's ended up as it as it has. Yeah, and well, you guys have done amazing stuff and like i say it was just it's 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 so great to talk to you because it did feel like that f- well it was the wave that i was caught on for sure other people might have said it was before whatever but but that time was just so exciting as a drinker and it's always interesting to hear like speaking to james Ryland as well just like the stories that go behind what what was going on at Beaver Town, or what was going on at Pressure Drop, or what was going on just in the London scene? Just so much vibrancy and energy for this new, and and it's very rare that you ever get that in your life. It's very rare that you get to be a part of something yeah. in its creation, or like at that vibrance of times. It's like you know living in the sixties and seeing 
Jimi Hendrix in there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I always use music analogies. But... <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it, it, no, was it certainly so, like, feels like that, doesn't yeah. it? It feels like that was a golden, golden age of brewing. And it's, you know, I still love brewing. I still, you know, yeah, there are times when you feel a bit jaded by it all, but that's nothing to do with the, with running a brewery. You know, I still love that like I did on the first day, really. Um, um, and, you know, I think it's still, it's, there's still fun to be had yeah. in brewing, right? You know, But it's, you're 10 it's, years in and you're saying you still get excited about yeah, definitely. You know, I was excited to get on the train yesterday That's and come so to Manchester. Cool. You know, yeah. I was excited to come and see this amazing brewery you guys have built. You know, I was excited to see the Shershot guys. You know, yeah, I still love all that. You know, I wouldn't want to do. And I wouldn't you, want to do anything else. Like going down to Cornwall and seeing like where Verdant are now from where they were and yeah, you know, totally blue shed. Totally, yeah, and getting inspired by by people who are slightly maybe further down the road you know doing a doing a different thing and going yeah we should be we should be doing something like this we should have a tap room with this cool you know and then you, know? you go to the kernel and it's like everything is still the same and it's perfect <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, yeah so i, I think that. you know i think people a lot of people feel like, find it really hard and i've found it really hard recently but there's i think there's still you know i'm not known for being particularly optimistic but um you know, I still believe there's a good future for the for the beer industry. The beer's still running through your veins from last night's collaborations. Yeah, yeah. It's still, still in the buzz. Yeah. <laughs> I'm known for being quite like kind of level. <laughs> yeah, not getting too excited about anything, not getting too upset about anything. That's probably yeah, that's it's probably so, what people would say about me. I think when you do collabs as well, though, but you're spending time with your peers and people that you care about. That, that you know, seeing you today and whenever I do an event or something like that, just being around those people and just being like, wow, we've all been in this for a while. Look where we are now. Like, it's crazy. Um, and we've all done it our own way, but in, ended up in a similar destination. It's, yeah. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah, it's good to be, you know, we didn't really do any festivals the last couple of years and, you know, we're kind of getting back into them now. So excited to be going to the Beak Festival this year. Amazing. Um, and probably down to Cornwall again and doing a, doing a few events like that. And, uh, you know, don't think there's many jobs where you get to do that as part of your work, is there? You know, go and hang out with people and drink beers so in the field connected. somewhere. So connected, yeah, it's really yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I do have to explain to my wife that it is work when I'm doing those festivals. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've done them for a long time and it feels a little bit like it sometimes, but uh, yeah. but it is amazing as well. Like, yeah, the, I mean, you wouldn't want to do them every week, but you know, two or three in the summer is a nice way to be. It's Absolutely. Nice to be. Okay, let's um, let's wrap this up then, then. Thanks so much for your time, mate. It's, uh, it's been a joy invite. to speak to you. I've been wanting to do it for ages and... I put this on you because you were just like, oh, I'm just at Shaw Shot down the road. So I was like, right, that's <laughs> yeah. the time. Yeah. It's yeah. so much better to I remember do it on Zoom. Uh, I remember listening to these in, you started these in lockdown, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember because I was walking into work and uh, so I didn't get on the tube. So it was like an hour long walk. And I was like, always delighted when you dropped a new one of these because it was perfect length for my walk into work. And uh, I remember walking through the park, listening to Adam uh, talking about Verdant, and he, he mentioned us, and I was like, oh, that's nice to hear. Yeah. Nice to hear you guys being so warm about us. And, well, and it was and... started in lockdown purely to kind of keep this connection going because it was a time of disconnect, and it was like the thing that I love so much is the people in this industry, so I don't want to lose that. So maybe, and, and the journeys that people have been on to, to yeah. create something. Well, thank you for keeping us all connected. Yeah. So. <laughs> It's been a joy. I, I, I love it. It's been a, a real pleasure to do. So yeah, so we'll wrap this up with the, with the last question, which is a, a really cheery one, which is the, there's, a, there's a flashing on the screen and uh, you're in this bar. 
where they have every beer that's ever been made and they can make any beer in a click of a fingers. And there's this little flash on the screen and it just says, a comet's about to hit Earth in one hour. And you look in and then you, the barman just slaps the bar and goes, what are you drinking? <laughs> <laughs> so what is your pre, pre-apocalypse oh, beer? I've got to think of something super rare that no one's heard of. <laughs> uh, no, I think... Um, uh, I think, you know, much as I love drinking the, the, all the really hoppy IPAs and new stuff like that, I'm, I'm from Cornwall originally, grew up in Cornwall, and uh, whenever I get back there in the summer, I always try and find a pint of fresh tribute. Amazing on a on a bar overlooking the beach, you know, and they're some of the some of the best moments with a beer, you know. Um, so I'd probably do that. That sounds like be, a nice be place, a happy to, see place the, yeah, be, a nice to see in the apocalypse. That yeah. sounds like a good place. Yeah. I didn't yeah. realise the Cornish connection. No, is it that that's a, another yeah. element to the Yeah, no, the opposite end to Verdant, but um yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm I was always delighted to see them make that work in Cornwall because you know there's a lot of there's a lot of problems in Cornwall, despite yeah. the kind of uh, cheery image it presents, you know, mm-hmm. and uh those guys building a successful business down there is a good thing. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, dude. And that's it. Another episode done. A massive thanks to Ben for doing that with me. I totally sprang it on him, which seems to be the way that these things go. Someone emails and says, oh, I'm just coming up. Uh, are you around? And I go, right, we're doing a podcast. And he very graciously accepted. So thank you, Ben. I know that you'd had a nice time with the Show Shot guys the night before, so I appreciate it. A massive thanks to Tom for producing this episode. We will be back soon with another episode. Um, but for now, stay thirsty. Stay thirsty.